Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. My name is Matt Boyd. I'm the pastor here at Sojourn Church. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, and we are thrilled that you have chosen to spend part of your holiday weekend here with us. Uh, We trust that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with close family and maybe some friends. We won't tell anyone if you broke the six people limit uh, here in Multnomah County, but we do uh, hope that you stayed safe and that you stayed healthy and that you were able to enjoy a day of giving thanks, even in the middle of this pandemic, because the reality is all of us have something that we can still be thankful for. Um, With the Thanksgiving holiday now past, we are now entering our season of Advent, uh, which means we'll be taking a break from our series in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Kingdom Manifesto. We're going to kind of set that on the shelf for the next four to five weeks, and then we'll pick that back up in early January. But during, um, during the Advent season... If you're not familiar with that term or what that means, it's um, something on the Christian calendar that is observed by Christians all over the world. And it's really a time of expectancy. Um, uh, Traditionally, at Christmas time, it's expectancy of the first arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, at his birth, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time. And then it's also the the longing and the anticipation for his second coming, um, which has yet to happen and is yet to come. And so it's kind of a mix of both of those. Now, during this uh, season, what we're going to be doing is we're going to have a a short series here for the next four weeks. We're going to be studying the book of Ruth, which if you're not familiar with Ruth, it is found in the Old Testament. Uh, It seems like we've been in the New Testament here for a while at Sojourn, so it felt like uh, now is an appropriate time to to visit the Old Testament. So we'll be looking at an Old Testament book. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find the book of Ruth, and we will be there in Ruth chapter 1 this morning. Now, we all enjoy a good love story. In fact, at this time of year, it seems like many of us enjoy really cheesy, hallmark, uh, Christmassy love stories. Well, if you enjoy a good love story, then the book of Ruth is for you. A few of the main characters that we're going to see and will be drawn to is we're going to see grieving Naomi. We're going to see loyal Ruth. And then we'll see compassionate Boaz. Those are just kind of three of the the key uh, Mark characters. The setting is also a really intriguing setting. It takes place during the time of Judges and includes Bethlehem, Moab, Boaz's field, a threshing floor, a city gate, and a bedroom. Now, the plot of the book of Ruth, I'm just kind of setting it up for us this morning before we really get into the text, it involves the story of redemption, which is why we will learn that that part of the story of Ruth really points to the grand story of redemption, because it's in the middle of this story that we find Naomi, who is now a widow without any sons to carry on the family's line, which was a huge deal at this point in history. And what we'll see is at the heart of this resolution, we'll find this character Boaz. Now, Boaz will not be introduced in this chapter. He'll be introduced in the second chapter. But if we pay careful attention to Boaz, he resembles in many ways David's greatest son, who is known as Jesus. Now, we're going to see this love story unfold between Ruth and Boaz. It's a remarkable love story. This is similar to many of the Disney and Hollywood love stories that we've all come to enjoy, where where two unlikely people become one. Think of popular stories that you know. The uniting of Beauty and the Beast. A failed nun and a military captain and the sound of music. And 
And then in my own life, if, if you know me and you know my wife, Andrea, I mean, literally nobody saw that one coming as I'm a very blessed man. Uh, I represent the beast and the beauty and the beast. And so it's, it's uh, similar in this story of Ruth and Boaz, where the two very unlikely characters at this point in time, at this point in history, who would have ever been together, actually become one. And so this is the story of Ruth. We'll see the two extremely unlikely get together. We'll see an Israelite, Boaz, and we'll see a Moabite widow, Ruth. And she ends up being one of the great grandmothers of Jesus Christ himself. Now, the title of Ruth is actually a strange one because she is a Moabite. Now, that may not sound very strange to us, but if you look at every other Old Testament book, there, there's none of them named after a non-Israelite except for the book of Ruth. Alternatively, the book could have been called Naomi, as we're going to see a lot about Naomi in this opening chapter. After all, it's Naomi who loses everything in the first few verses, and she gains a wonderful recompense in an unexpected way at the end of the story. Now, the main tension, the, uh, the main plot of the tension comes from her sense of abandonment by God. So we're going to see Naomi who just feel like God has totally abandoned her in contrast to the way that God uses her family to provide a king for Israel. Now, there are many reasons to study the book of Ruth. And I've wanted us to actually walk through this book for quite some time. I always have a, a running list of books or parts of books I would love for us to just dive into and work through at Sojourn. But for some, whatever reason, we just haven't made it to this one. But I, I think that's actually God's providence and God's sovereignty that we're studying it now. Perhaps the best reason to study the book of Ruth is because Ruth actually advances the story of God's redeeming grace to Adam's fallen race. And so I think we're all part of Adam's fallen race. And that this story, at this point in time in history, it actually advances this story of God's redeeming grace, which we all are benefactors from. It magnifies God's, what's called his hesed, which means his covenantal faithfulness and unceasing kindness to his people. Perhaps most importantly, Ruth is about the becoming Messiah. And guys, that's what Christmas is all about. That's why we have these lights up behind me and a couple little Christmas trees. But this is what the book of Ruth is about. It's about the coming Messiah that we are anticipating this month as we will celebrate here at Christmas. At the end of the story, we'll find Ruth, her descendants will be kings of Israel. And that she is part of the royal line that eventually leads to our long-awaited king, Jesus. Now, we're not going to hit on every verse that Andrea read this morning. I think it's about 22 verses and uh, even the introduction was a little bit longer this morning because of her reading the entire passage. So we're not going to hit on every single verse, but we are going to unpack every single verse. And so let's look at the first five verses now. It says, In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malone and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malone and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow. I mean, Ruth opens with some devastating words as it focuses on this one particular family. And, and then what's left of that family, this, this widow and now a mother with no sons in Naomi. This has to be where the expression comes from. When it rains, it pours because it seems like things go from bad to worse in the matter of short five verses. 
We see there's a famine in the land. Now, typically at this time, a famine would have signified that there was likely a, a sign of judgment on the land. We read about three different funerals, Naomi's husband and then her two sons. And then what were we left with? We're left with this grieving widow. She's in a foreign land alongside of now her two widowed daughter-in-laws. I imagine you're thinking to yourself about now. This is the opening to our Christmas series. Like I thought Christmas was supposed to be all like jolly and joyful and full of fun. We're looking at this tragedy. I mean, Matt, come on, we're in 2020. Like we've had enough bad news. What, what is it that you're doing to us here? Lest I need to remind us though, that we too live in the same fallen world that these ladies found themselves living in. And to an extent, we can relate with them, perhaps because of our hardships, especially in 2020, than, than perhaps ever before. And in many ways, this is what Advent is all about. The longing for the coming of Christ, the Messiah. I don't know about you guys, but I found myself this year longing for the return of Jesus more than ever before. And so this is what the Advent story is about. And the central focus of Ruth actually concerns the origin of Israel's royal line, which is why this is a very important book to study and why we chose it for Advent, because it, it, it points to that longing for the, the arrival of Jesus. And I've told you guys this many weeks, week in, week out, that that's where I feel like our world is at right now. You know, I think it, it's always was that way anyway, but 2020 has revealed that with everything that's happened this year, that there's this longing for the return of Jesus. So in this book, they're longing for the first arrival of Jesus, and now we're at a place where we're longing for the second arrival of Jesus. Sure, it was tempting this year to put up Christmas lights early. If you know me, I'm very traditional. I love Thanksgiving. It's probably my favorite holiday. I don't want to know anything about Christmas until after Thanksgiving's passed, but I know many of you said, you know what, we're going to embrace the holidays early this season. We're going to embrace Christmas early because it's going to be all bright and it's going to appear joyful. But the reality is, even if you did that, no judgment if you did, but the reality is that this has been a year from hell for many people. And putting up some lights isn't going to change that. So I can't think of a more appropriate year for us to study this particular story at Advent than this year. Because we just saw the tragedy that, that this opens up with, with Naomi. I don't think any of us are going through that much of a tragedy in the matter of this year. And so here we go. We go, let's see what this story is going to point to for Naomi's reality, for Ruth's reality, but also for our reality. And so we see this crisis is introduced in this first chapter. It involves the widowhood of Naomi and Ruth. Lest we forget that her two daughter-in-laws also are widows by the end of chapter 5 which means that their family line is threatened. In other words, there are no sons to carry on the family name. But we will see that the genealogy will show us eventually that Obed, whose birth resolves rather the crisis and continues the family line, will be the grandfather of David, Israel's king. Now, as we know, God promised as early back as the book of Genesis to send a king to rule on behalf of Israel. Now, in Judges, we see this is threatened referring to the time of Judges and the book of Judges, which is um, kind of where we're at in, in this book. And it was, it was threatened because we see there's this widespread unfaithfulness. And so in Ruth, what we see is that, that this unfaithfulness and this widespread threat is, begins to be lifted because the book of Ruth takes place during one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. Now, you might be finding yourself in, in our American history, and you might feel like, man, Given everything that, that this year has been defined by, I thought like we we're living in some of the darkest days. I haven't even had people say that to me. We have to be living in some of the darkest days. Well, here's the good news and the hope for us is that Ruth takes place during the darkest period of Israel's history, during the day of Judges. Now, the book of Judges shows us the downward spiral of Israel's national and spiritual life. And it underlines the need for God, a godly king to lead the people. Now, we don't know exactly where Ruth fits within the season of Judges, 
but we do know that she refers to this whole period as being in, in the past. So it's kind of like the backdrop for Ruth is Judges. And, and Judges, this was a period that's filled with violence, with idolatry, with moral depravity, and civil war. Yet it is in this dark season that the providence of God shines. Let me say those things again. It was, it was filled with violence, idolatry, moral depravity, and civil war. Yet it was in this season, in this darkest of periods, that the providence of God shines. So we see that despite sin, despite rebellion, God is working out his redemptive purposes as he promised he would do. Now let me read you a key verse from Judges 21-25. It says, In those days there was a king, no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Could not this description be used for our city, for the city of Portland, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes? Their version of tolerance and our version of tolerance could both be summed up by this phrase. Everyone does what is right in his eyes or in her eyes. It's so striking how similar we have found ourselves in today's context when we're looking all the way back at the book of Ruth in this Old Testament context. You think about those who, who didn't do what was right in their own eyes, those who hold to biblical truths of Scripture, they, they would actually, usually they have a negative reaction. And it's no different today. As we hold up to the authority of Scripture and, and we believe that we're supposed to live a certain way based on God's Word and God's truths and God's standards, not our own truths and not our own standards, as we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, it's often met with negative reaction especially outside the church, but even sometimes in the church, because we've gotten to a place where we say, I don't know if I trust Scripture. I don't know if I believe Scripture. I kind of want to redefine and pick and choose what things I follow and what things I don't. Now, naturally, adopting the prevailing worldview in today's culture is a temptation for the church as well. Believe me, there's areas that we have been tempted to bend and, and kind of adjust and shift, not to be culturally even relevant, but to say, man, we want to we almost mimic the culture. Guys, there's all kinds of things. We could, we could blow up and become this huge church if we would just accept certain things and affirm certain things. But the reason we refuse to do it, the reason I refuse to do it is because, one, I'm a pastor and a man of conviction. Our church is a church of conviction, and we want to study God's Word, and we want to do the things that God has declared for us to do. But what do we find even in today? We find that certain sins have been normalized by our city. And what have many churches done? Many of the churches in our city have caved to those sins and said, okay, we'll just accept those. We will affirm those. But this is what exactly what's happening during the period of Judges, the darkest period in Israel's history. But it's also in this type of context that Christians, we are called out to shine. And so there's actually, there are some similarities between our series of Matthew and our, and our series that we're going to look at in the next four weeks. And this is what we will see from Ruth and Boaz in the next four Sundays. So here's the thing that we see. We see that God is in the business of turning pagans into saints. I actually met with somebody recently and just said, what, what are your beliefs? What are your worldviews? You know, what do you adhere to? And they said, I guess you would say that I'm a pagan. And my first thought was, I can work with that because God is in the business of turning pagans into saints. Now, at the beginning of this book of Ruth, Ruth is actually still a pagan. She has yet to confess faith in Yahweh and become integrated into the Israelite community. But what we'll see is Ruth's godliness is crucial to the plot. In particular, Boaz admires her devotion to her mother-in-law, and this leads him to protect her. And so we're going to see that God will actually work through the godly attitude of Ruth, and through her descendants, ultimately provides a king to lead his people into godly ways. So if you're tuning in this morning and you think, I don't believe this stuff, I don't know what I believe about this stuff, you're in good company because this is exactly what we're starting with Ruth. 
one of our key figures in the book of Ruth. And we see these opening verses. They mention there was a famine in the land, which is highlighting one of the, one of the challenges of the day. And there's a famine that means people were hungry. People, people were destitute. An interesting point was that the famine had even reached as far as Bethlehem. That's interesting because Bethlehem actually means house of bread. So here's Israel. It's supposedly this land of flowing milk and honey, but you couldn't find a loaf of bread in the house of bread. This would be like going to Pine State Biscuits and them saying, we don't have biscuits. It's like, it's in your name, guys. You're supposed to have biscuits. But this is how bad the famine had gotten. Now, we have to view this situation with Deuteronomy in mind, where God had promised blessing on his people for obedience, but God had also warned of curses for disobedience. Now, due to Israel's disobedience during the time of Ruth, God's warning came true. This is why we see the famine in the land. This should have led Elimelech and lead, to lead his family to repent. That's, this is what he should have taken this as a sign. He said, my family is not going to be defined this way. We're going to repent. But instead, what does Elimelech do? He takes matters into his own hands. The family turns their back on God by acting like the people of the day. In other words, Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes. Now, in the end, we see that he dies and both of his sons die. Now, Elimelech's decision should actually stand as a warning for us today. We must avoid the temptation to do what is ever, whatever is right in our own eyes. We must make reference to God and his word when making decisions. Now, the longer I'm in ministry, the longer I'm pastoring, the more I see this. Here's what I mean. Many professing Christians do not really believe that the Bible is enough. Well, how do I know that? Because many professing Christians, when they're faced with life's issues and the, and the reality of hardships of life, they see the Bible says one thing, but then they see that their own reasoning and maybe their friends' and family's opinion says something else. They most often go with their own reasoning. Now, here is what I, my, my caution, my warning to you. If you're going to do that, at least own it. Don't blame God. If I hear from one more person say, God told me to justify their actions, to justify their sin, to justify their, their wrongful attitudes, I'm going to lose it because you're violating scripture. So just own it. Just say, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I, you know, if it's, if it's your marriage, just say, I don't want to be married anymore. Now we'll, we'll deal with that and we'll work with that. If it's, man, I just don't want to do these things. I just prefer to do, just own that. I'd rather you own your sin than to blame God for your sin. And faithful Christianity means seeking to live by the word of God in the biblical community among spirit-filled, prayerful, wise saints. But we see Elimelech chose his own way. In the end, he chose his own demise. Now, the sad introduction to Ruth ends by revealing Naomi's gloomy state in verse 5. It says, it is a hopeless situation. One that perhaps you can relate to this Christmas season as well. Because we all have the same need that Naomi had, which is hope. That's, that's what we think of typically at Christmas, is, is this coming hope. I think I've even called a Christmas series coming hope in the past. The, this week we're kind of looking at the hopeless hope in the midst of hopelessness, because this opening chapter seems like it's, there's hopelessness. The where we found ourselves in 2020, this year that we'd all like to just erase, we're almost at the end, but it just seems like a year filled with hopelessness. But here we will find hope in the middle of hopelessness. Reality is every single one of us will suffer, whether you've suffered this year or not. And Scripture doesn't shy away from this. Scripture doesn't sugarcoat it. You will suffer. And so the book of Ruth reminds us that we can trust a sovereign God even in our suffering because God cares for us, which is why we must, not, we must turn to him in the middle of our suffering, not from him. You must turn to him, not from him. 
Now, the middle verses, the, the middle section here, verses 16 through 18, they present us with these three key characters, these three women. We see Naomi, we see Ruth, and we see Orpah. It almost looks like Oprah, but it's Orpah. And we see they have a crucial decision in front of them. So pick up verse 6 with me. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and giving them food. So we see here God's gracious provision to his people. It starts in verse 6, where now the famine is over. And so we've had all this bad news in the first five verses, and now we see a little bit of good news coming in in verse 6. But now there's a decision that has to be made. So now that they've found this good news out, you know, they're kind of looking at each other going, should we go back to Bethlehem? Should we return there? Now, this is the first mention of the Lord as he is the one given the recognition for the provision of food. And so we see this thing throughout Scripture in our own lives, and even today where we find ourselves in need, and what do we see? That God's loving kindness, he comes through and he provides for us. Now, further evidence of God's grace is that he calls them his people. That's significant there. And so think about every single one of us who is a Christian. We were orphans that God adopted. And when he adopted us, he called us his sons and he called us his daughters. And if that's not you today, that offer is there for you. And so in response to God's grace and provision, Naomi sets out with Ruth and Orpah to return to the land of Judah. But then what does she do? She instructs them to return to the land of their father so that they can remarry. In fact, Ruth's father was still living. So she could have gone, moved back in with mom and dad. None of us want to do that. Sometimes you have to. They go on and remarry. And so Ruth and Orpah initially object to Naomi, but then Naomi is very persistent. Skip down and look at verse 11 with me. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So we see at the, this point in the story, there's, there's much weeping. You can imagine these three widows, the two daughter-in-laws and their mother-in-law, and they're just, they're, they're mourning at this, one, their husbands all died, but now they're looking at the potential of being separated. And it wasn't as easy as hopping on a plane in those days, so being separated, not seeing each other, maybe ever again. And so we see that, that Orpah goes her separate way, but Ruth, on the other hand, she counts the cost of what it would mean to not go her separate way, and she clings to Naomi instead, and she clings to her in faith. Now, this step by Ruth required a tremendous step of faith, a faith that we should seek to imitate in our own lives, and it's here that we read of Ruth's stunning profession of faith in verses 16 and 17. It says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So Ruth here is not simply expressing devotion to Naomi. She is doing that, but what she's actually doing is she is expressing faith in Yahweh. So this chapter one starts with Ruth as a pagan, but here we are in verse 16 and 17, and she's now expressed faith in Yahweh. So what has Ruth done? Ruth has counted the cost, and she is following Yahweh and joining his people, which means joining Naomi as well. It's because of her commitment to Yahweh that she now belongs to Naomi. And so Ruth here is declaring that the God who made a covenant with Abraham, the God who brought his people out of Egypt, is also my God. Now, if you are a Christian this morning, 
Ruth is a good reminder for you and for me that we too were once outsiders. But what did God do? God welcomed us into his family with open arms and he made us insiders. But what about those of you who are tuning in this morning who aren't followers of Jesus? What's your position before God? Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? The, the one faithful one, the one who left heaven and came to earth in order that we might be reconciled to God and become God's people? Which road will you take this morning? Are you going to take the road of, of Orpah, which we call the, the wide road, and kind of the, the easy path? Or are you going to take the road of Ruth, the narrow way? The, the narrow way of entering in, which is not really the popular way, but, but entering the narrow gate and following Jesus. It's not too late for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's not too late for you. And there's no better gift that you can receive in this Christmas season than the gift of hope through salvation in Jesus Christ. That is our prayer for you. Our prayer is that this moment, that this cultural moment we have found ourselves, that this year of 2020 with all the chaos and all the storylines, that if nothing else, it is bringing people all over the world, it's bringing people all over our nation, it's people bringing people all over our city to their knees in recognition of their need for Jesus. And we want nothing more as a church than invite you into this journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus and to follow him faithfully. So please, if that is you, I can't plug this enough, whether it's this week or in the coming weeks during Advent, let us know. Say something in the chat bar, send an email, whatever it is you need to do, because we would love to walk that journey with you. Now we see the first chapter of Ruth, it ends as it begins by talking about bread. Look at the last few verses, uh, pick up verse 19. So, so the two of them went out until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now we're not given many details about the rest of their rugged journey road trip from Moab to Bethlehem. I imagine they had to have some kind of conversation. It may have been a little, a little awkward because Ruth didn't listen to Naomi here. But we do know that Moab was a small town. It's the type of town that you frequently drive through whenever you're exploring the wonderful state of Oregon, which explains why the whole town was, was stirred. You know, it's like someone returns to this small town, and it's, it's like that place where you get the strange looks because if you're not from there, then they can tell right away that you're not from there because you're an outsider. Even though Naomi was an insider initially, she'd been away for a decade, and now she's got Ruth with her, and she looked totally different, and life has changed her a lot. And so she tells them, do not call me Naomi. Now, Naomi, I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but it actually means, uh, it's kind of like calling someone sweetie, your sweetie pie. But she says, instead, call me Mara. Now, Mara means bitter. And she desires the name of her situation as she, like us, often fails to see the grace of God in her life, even in the middle of her hopelessness. This is why she said, call me Mara. Naomi believes that the Lord has made her life bitter. She believes that this is God's judgment on her. While she doesn't see things clearly, she does at least still see that God is in the midst of her situation. And then we arrive at the final verse in chapter one, and we read of hope. We see that the physical famine that had started this chapter is also illustrated in the spiritual famine that is in Naomi's life. But here we find hope of a new beginning here at the very end. And so what does this hope mean? Will, will, will Ruth find a husband? Will the family line be extended? 
Will the harvest bring about a harvest of grace in Naomi's life? Will her bitterness be replaced with joyful praise? Will this hopeless woman experience God's surprising grace in her life? Hopefully by now, at the end of this chapter, you're picking up the hopeful expectation of what is to come in the coming weeks. By the, by the end of chapter one, we arrive at this wonderfully opening of a story. It's like watching the first episode of The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. And you're like, I have to watch one more. I just got to know what happens. We see that Ruth 1 is focused so much on grief and bitterness in Naomi. The first five verses explain her suffering and conclude it with her losing her husband and her two sons. I mean, no wonder she's bitter. The following section displays the anguish Naomi feels as she has a lack of hope and she expresses her anger at the Lord. Even in the surprising commitment of Ruth, it doesn't make Naomi feel any better. It's as she expresses instead her even more bitterness that, that, Naomi, that Ruth wants to travel with her. And here's what we, how we end this morning. We hope that things turn around and turn out better for Naomi. But what we've seen so far is what we call a painful providence. But as a preview for next one, what we're going to see is this providence develop into a restoration. And we're even going to watch her situation improve in the next chapter. And so my invitation to you is if you're new with us, and maybe you're just tuning in because people tend to do that during the Christmas season, stick with us for the next three weeks because I think you're going to find a lot of hope in your own story through this story. And so we see the characters in Ruth, they, they highlight God's involvement in the ordinariness of everyday life. Here's, here's some things we saw this morning. We, we, we read about bread. We read about family. We read about death. We read about daughter-in-laws. We read about widowhood. We read about gossip. We read about grief. We read about bitterness. We read about a baby. And we saw the, all of these other normal, ordinary things of life that happen. And so church, do not underestimate how God is working in the ordinary things of your life. Don't underestimate how God is working in that situation that maybe you found yourself bitter about. You might feel overlooked. You might feel sad or depressed this Christmas season. Or you might just be bitter and just feel like giving up on life altogether. This may lead us to wanting to describe ourselves like Naomi. We might say, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because that's how I feel. But it's in these moments, church, that we need to remember the grace of Jesus. We just celebrated Thanksgiving just a couple of days ago. And, and sometimes you may have found yourself there this year. You just, you force yourself to be thankful for things, even when you're not actually thankful for anything. You know, you kind of go around and share with your friends, your family, and you think, oh man, what am I, what am I, I'm thankful for my house, or I'm thankful for my, you know, but you're thinking your reality is, I'm not thankful for anything. But when you find yourself in this place of bitterness, and it can be a very dangerous place, but here's my, Here's what I, my pastoral advice to you. Take some time in that place and just pause. Just, just take a deep breath. I love how Joseph, when he's leading us in worship, will sometimes say, just close your eyes, take a deep breath. So when you find yourself bitter, just take, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And look back with joy at all the things that God has done in your life. Be reminded of those things that God has done for you. Be reminded where you'd be without God in your life. And so you might be wondering still, why did you choose the book of Ruth for Advent this year? And the reason is because this book highlights the reality of the Old Testament shows us the story of the Messiah. The entire Old Testament is pointing to the coming of Jesus. Now I'm going to fast forward and just kind of tell you some of the things that we'll see at the end of the book of Ruth. Ruth's going to close with a genealogy that links this story to King David. Ruth helps us understand the longer genealogy we read about in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. 
And it gives us an even greater appreciation for the first arrival of Jesus Christ. You see, we need the Old Testament. We need the book of Ruth in order to have a more marvelous understanding of Christ's first incarnation. In other, in other words, this will give us a greater appreciation for what it is we actually celebrate this time of year. Now, if you've ever found yourself like Naomi, maybe believing God is absent or just incomprehensible, God just doesn't understand, just look to Jesus' incarnation. Just look to Jesus' crucifixion. Just look to Jesus' resurrection and just look to Jesus' ascension. Church, turn your eyes to Jesus this morning in this season. The one who was abandoned, the one who was crucified, that we may be reconciled to God forever and be reminded that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. No one's here, but amen. Finally, no matter the trials that you are facing this Christmas season, you are able to face them with hope. Why? Or how? Because we are able to look back at what God has done for us in Christ, and we're also able to look ahead to the future. This is the advantage that we have on Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi were living this in the moment. They didn't have the full Bible. They didn't have the front and the back cover. They didn't have this whole book to realize what happens. So they had to live this out in faith. And so the advantage we have on them is that we get to see the whole story. And we know the whole story. If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, then you know the, the final outcome. You may have to go through hell to get there. You may have to go through another hard year like this one to get there. But you know the final outcome. And so we don't know everything about the future. We don't know what 2021 holds. The reality is it's probably going to carry a wave and look a good bit like the second half of 2020. That's just a reality. But we do know that Jesus ultimately wins and he will wipe all the tears from our eyes. And on that day, there'll be no more dying. There'll be no more grief. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more pandemic because we will be united with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And church, for that, we have a longing for hope. Not only for this first coming that we celebrate, but for the second coming of Jesus Christ that we long for and that we're waiting for. As Romans 12, 12 tells us, it is this that allows us to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. And so church, this morning, this is where we find hope in hopelessness. Let's pray, and then we're going to have a time of celebration as we sing praises to Jesus. God, we want to take a moment and just pause. God, we see in Ruth the uh, most unlikely of characters. I have a book of the Bible named after her for one in the Old Testament, but God, this, this lady who proves faithful, who starts out not even following you, but half a chapter in has shown her devotion and commitment to you and that through her family line will eventually come Jesus. Jesus who everyone leading up to that point in Ruth's life and was longing for and waiting for. And God, we have found ourselves here as Sojourn Church, as the city of Portland, the people of Portland. We're at a place of longing, God, for your return. And so in the middle of this season where we found ourselves, God, it seems like we have to say this so much, all the catchphrases and the buzzwords of pandemic and unprecedented times and dark season. But God, that's just the reality we have found ourselves. And so this morning, I don't want to be insensitive to anyone or any situation. But God, we recognize that we can have hope in the middle of hopelessness. And God, that we can carry this message of hope to those around us in our city. God, as we see people who are losing hope daily, 
God, people, I think about people's mental health. God, people who are taking their own lives. God, that you would allow Sojourn to interact with these people. And God, we can invite these people on this journey of learning what it means to follow you. And God, that we can show them that part of following you is having hope, God, in a better future, in a different future, and one that ultimately leads to us reuniting with you as citizens in your kingdom. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.